Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's Ladies Week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks as we reflect on a classic one versus two matchup and look ahead to the rest of the women's college hoops season with two special guests. But first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former three and D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King, let's do this. Welcome to Buckets, Boards and Blocks. I am King McClure along with my co-host Monica McNutt. Monday night in stores, Connecticut, the top ranked South Carolina team with a fly coach woman who I love, Don Staley, came to town hoping to take a page out of Gino Oriema's playbook, but it didn't work out as planned. And might I say, whoever called that game on uh, Monday was absolutely horrible. They should have had their card revoked because they were not a good announcer. Just wow. Kidding. Wow. <laughs> wow. JK, 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 JK. Just kidding. You know who called the game, Monica McNutt, the GOAT, big time. She was on Sports Center, and she calls the most anticipated, the most viewed game ever on FS1. Monica, how do you feel after calling that game? The most viewed women's game, let's most make it. Most of women's games, that correct. It's still big time. It's still an accomplishment. Put some respect like, on the name. Okay, like, you, we're family here. This is a safe space. It's huge. And it still is blowing my mind, I'll be honest. And literally, I think until I got to the arena, somewhere mm-hmm. in the back of my mind, I was like, they're going to call and be like, they got Sarah Kustak to call the game, like, or somebody else that's more established. Like, it was, I knew about, I knew I had the call since, um, like, the first week of January. Mm-hmm. But at the time, they weren't one and two, obviously. So, like, I knew it was a big game, but didn't really think nothing about it. For some reason... Saturday night or Saturday night, Sunday night hit. And I just had nerves. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm calling one and two. Like, especially Sunday when we had to put our AP votes. And then it was one and two on Monday. I was like, oh my God, I'm calling one and two. Um, But my partner, Lisa Byington, who's been on the pod is incredible. She's such a pro. She definitely kept us on a straight and narrow because then there was me with some color and (laughs) some commentary. Um, But I got to say, I got a weird thing on Twitter and it was like, you're you're being mentioned a lot. Do you want us to filter? And I promise that I hit no. Um, but I I probably could count on my one hand, probably less than five negative comments. Um, a couple of them were from South Carolina fans, and I am guilty of botching a couple names. I was excited, but in general, like the feedback has been incredible. Mm-hmm. No, nah, that's that's dope. I, you actually did a great job. I watched the whole game. And you did a great job. You using big words that I never have heard you use before. You, <laughs> you, you broke down the game in a way that was entertaining and very colorful. Um, I loved it. Honestly, you made the game entertaining. I was a big fan. Even if I had never heard you before, I would have been like, "Dang, who is this woman on here talking her talk right there? Who is matter of fact, who is this black woman 
on here talking her talk right here. There we go. You 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 did your thing. And honestly, it was a great game, though. Like that, that's what he was even more entertaining. Not only was you great, but it was a great game. And Paige Beckers just went absolutely insane. Like, oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know we weren't in person, but calling one of her games because it's so sneaky. Like she wasn't hitting from behind the arc. She did keep getting to her death spot on the right. Like her pull-up game is sick. But then I looked at the box, like. She had 30 points. She outscored South Carolina by herself in the overtime period. Like, when did that happen? Because it's just so smooth. Yeah, nah, for sure. It was it was like almost a quiet 30 in a sense. I mean, the last like two, three minutes were loud and the overtime was loud. But up to there, it was kind of quiet. It was like, you looked at the box score and was like, dang, she got 16, really? But yeah. like, I mean, the, the girl is talented. She's as good as advertised. Um, but hey, you did a hell of a job calling that game. So. Props to Monica McNutt. She is blowing up. She's going to leave us little people behind. Stop saying that. You know, I brought you in. I can't leave you. And, I mean, with all that being said, she and a few of her friends are going to talk more about that game and everything coming up in women's hoops. Our guests this week on my Girl Power Galentine's Day show, you know, all of that, um, are two of the most outstanding women's hoops journalists in the country. Michelle Vopel is with ESPN.com. She covers college, the WNBA. She's on top of it. Um, she's been covering women, the women's game since 1984. Alexa Filippo of the Hartford Current covers the UConn women's basketball team and the WNBA's Connecticut Sun. Michelle, Alexa, welcome to both of you. Thank you. How are you doing, Monica? I'm well. Thank you for asking. Now, Alexa and I chatted a little bit on Twitter pregame, and we've swapped some text postgame. So, Michelle, I'm going to tee the first question up to you. We're going to go back to Monday night's UConn-South Carolina game. Certainly lived up to the hype in terms of competitiveness and going into overtime. If you had told me that we would have had three threes hit between the two teams, I wouldn't have believed it. But, Michelle, what was your biggest takeaway? You know, I think um, obviously it was a huge, it was a big game for Paige and, and just showed once again that, that even at her young age, she's ready for big moments. Um, I'll be interested to see what Alexa thinks that means for Kristen Williams, because I feel like Kristen Williams is having a major confidence crater. And it's not, I think that she's bugged that Paige is successful, but I just wonder if she doesn't know what her place is on the team. Um, and that, that can happen when, you know, when a freshman comes in and is super successful, but I felt like this is a game. If I'm South Carolina, if I'm their players, I've watched this game two or three times over again, this game should tick me off because they should have won it. And that's nothing against UConn, but I think South Carolina was in position to win this game. And they, they had four shots at the basket at the end and didn't get any of those. They didn't score transition points. And a lot of that is credit to the way that UConn defended them, but come on, finish some layups. And then they let one player score every point in overtime to beat them. So if I'm South Carolina, I'm like, this game should make me mad, but I should learn from it because they made obvious mistakes to lose this game. And that is again, nothing against Connecticut, obviously. They're a great program, great team. But this should be a game South Carolina learns from it. Not just that cliche, oh, we'll learn from it. I mean, really learn from it. Study it. Um, I love it. The heat, the accuracy, I, no lies detected, Michelle. But I do want Alexa to jump in on the point that Michelle brought up about the rotation. 
Yes. So it's actually interesting that you brought up Kristen because yesterday UConn played Seton Hall and she actually had her second scoreless game of the season, the third of her career. And you could just see the confidence like kind of drained from her, like after she missed that first shot that we've seen that from her before sometimes where she misses her first shot or she misses badly. And then like, you're like, oh no, this is going to affect her like the rest of the game. And even just talking with the players of Nina Westbrook and Olivia Nelson Adodas, Kristen's fellow juniors, uh, you know, they were trying to say like, you know, we're going to support her as much as we can. And Avina brought up an interesting point that she just could tell that Kristen wasn't herself in the huddle. So we haven't spoken to Kristen in a few games, but what stuck out to me is that Kristen's three-point shot hasn't really been falling all season. She's a right now a 27% uh, three-point shooter. What we had seen in the DePaul game and the Marquette game uh, earlier last week was that she was looking to be aggressive, get to the rim and get her shot, you know, get things going that way. And she was also making an impact where she could on the defensive end, rebounding here and there and, and getting some assists. That was not happening at all um, uh, on the game yesterday and not really in South Carolina too. So that's one thing that Gina brought up as being most concerning to him was that she wasn't, she kind of shut down entirely that's not this team at its ideal state, but I think it in large part depends on Kristen Williams kind of getting out of that um, funk confidence wise. And I don't know if anyone can really help her with that besides herself. I think that's such a personal thing. And I don't, you know, I feel for her as a player. I know that must be really hard, especially to be high profile at Connecticut. So we'll, we'll just have to see how she responds from here on out. Oh man, a scoreless outing that, I mean, oof. Um, so Michelle, you brought the point up and you are the veteran in terms of covering women's basketball. I don't, not necessarily Kristen in particular, a comparison, but does this remind you of anything that you kind of pops to mind? That, now that is interesting. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I was thinking, I've been thinking this whole time where we watch Paige's ascension of other freshmen who've done this. And as, as Alexa and all the, the UConn folks know, just as she said, this is so different for them because in fact, I, I can't think of another situation like this. She's, there's seven freshmen on this team. Obviously one of them, Sailor, um, just came in, in January right out of high school, but seven freshmen, no seniors, three juniors, one of whom is in a confidence crisis, the other of whom, and Alexa, you can speak to this. It seems to me like Avina Westbrook is, has played at less than 100% physically for a lot of this season. Then you have a, a player like um, Anna Makarat, who Gino said at the beginning of the season, it, she's going to be one of our bigger outside shooters. Well, she's had injury issues. So there's been more on page than I, you know, in terms of what she has to carry than any UConn freshman I can think of. And that's been both good and bad. It's, you know, people are like, look at her. She said three 30 point games. Well, if Diana Tarazi or Maya Moore, or Brianna Stewart had been playing on a team with seven freshmen, yeah. they probably would have had, you know, three 30 point games. Uh, again, this is nothing. I'm not trying to pour any water on Paige's parade, but putting the situation she's in, in perspective. Tarazi, let's remember when Tarazi was a freshman, her seniors were Shay Ralph and Svetlana Brosimova. Shay was the, you know, defending at that point, final four most valuable player. Svetlana got picked in the first round that year. And then her juniors were, you know, the awesome, you know, the, the fearsome foursome, you know, of, of 
Swin Cash and Super to Asia Jones and Tamika Williams, who all were first round picks. So that she didn't even start every game that year. Diana Tarazi, you know, probably the greatest player ever. So that's why I think this is so interesting is the situation Paige is in is both great for UConn, but exactly what Alexa said, this is not what we think of as UConn at their best in terms of national championship best being this reliant on one player. So the big thing for them, I think, is to get Kristen's confidence back. Maybe on, I don't know how, what situation Anna's in, but you'd like to see her come back. And, uh, and then hope that Olivia nelson Adota continues what seems to be, and, and Alexa, if you feel like this, seems to be like an upward tra- trajectory. Like, it seems like Gino's been saying a lot more positive things about uh, Olivia uh, defensively and offensively and doing the little things that it seems like to me over the last few games. It's so funny that you kind of explained brought up that point about Paige and the context of this team and not having that comparison because someone did ask him yesterday Gino I mean um, they basically said where would you rank Paige among your freshmen and he said I don't even think that you can have that discussion because she's doing what we asked D her junior year to do so that was the year like you said after Sue and um, Swin and the Fab Four they all left and I, there weren't that many superstars left on the team. And Diana Taurasi, they still won the national championship that year and the year after, but they didn't really have that many great players on the team. And um, so that's just mind boggling to me that he made that comparison between Diana Taurasi's junior year, what they asked her to do then, and Paige Becker's 15 games in her freshman season. Like that is just, that, I don't think that's like inherently a good thing, you know, like as much as, like you said, you don't want to rain on Paige's parade, but I don't think they, I, like, again, ideally, this is like very like anti UConn basketball, what they're asking her to do, but that's what's- You guys know that old, that old saying about who is the only person to hold Michael Jordan under 20 points a game, and it was Dean Smith, because, was- you know, on, on, on those North Carolina teams, even though he's, you know, probably the, the greatest, and I don't want to start that debate, but probably, you know, the, the greatest player of all time. Um, it wasn't his job to score 30 points a game. Mm-hmm. And UConn's exactly what Alexa's saying. UConn's entire history has been that way. In fact, if you look at the, the last player who had to do something like score 20 points a game year after year, it, it, it was um, Kerry Bascom had to score 20 plus points per game those three seasons. And yeah, they went to the final four one of those seasons, but if you're going back looking at who had to do something like that, um, you know, Nafisa, Nafisa Collier, the last few years had, you know, had a couple seasons where she was over 20, but she wasn't doing the whole thing herself. Right. So I think that's a, that's a concern for them. Um, and I think Gino knows that the, the other thing, Alexa, I don't know if you found this interesting was um, Monday night when he was talking about number one versus number two teams and he's like we're we're number two like what like he doesn't even necessarily think that they're a number two or number one team and that's interesting to me because he's comparing them with you know a a bar that's (laughs) that's as high as it gets and um that's a that's a tough bar to to meet yeah I I have always found Gino to be a little bit I guess this is the price of excellence because when he talks about his teams I'm like you do you realize how good your team 
actually is. Um, but perhaps again, that is the pursuit of excellence. But piggybacking on, on off of all of that, you guys, and, and I love the context that both of you bring to what Paige is doing this year. Michelle, I'll start with you again. Could she win the Wade Trophy? Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's a possibility for for a few reasons. Um, they're going to go to number one, uh, mm -hmm. and I don't think they're going to they're going to leave number one because um, and this isn't anything against the Big East, but the Big East is going to have a hard time, you know, just like the American of, of beating them. So she's going to be the leading scorer on the number one team in the country. That's pretty good, you know, cred for getting the Wade Trophy. Um, then you look at a player like I think coming in the season we had at ESPN um, we had Ryan Howard for Kentucky as the number one player and she's had a, a good season Kentucky hasn't had a great season you know I would say um, and then you look at some of the other players who might be um, you know up for this award and either they might there's their teams aren't having the greatest season like for instance the the Twitter verse is on fire all the time that that Caitlin Clark doesn't get enough attention mm. so it's almost like she gets a lot of attention for people saying she doesn't get a lot of attention it, it it's it's interesting to me she is great and she's had uh, several 30-point games too but Iowa isn't ranked so mm -hmm. that all that always is gonna you're gonna get less you know attention if your team isn't doing as well so that's why I think Paige is definitely, I mean, yeah, she's absolutely going to be in that conversation for, for Wade Trophy um, and, and every other national player of the year award. I mean, she's been, I think as we were preparing for the game and Gino said she's been better as advertised, because again, at least as, as long as I've had a UConn game here or there, Gino has never been one to heap praise on his group. So when he said that, I think my jaw hit the floor because I'm like, really like you I remember Big East Media Day when he said I mean she hasn't played a game yet and we're all like super excited whatever and now you've reversed course of sorts um but Alexa I do want to know day to day kind of covering that team and I know we're doing things virtually these days but does she seem aware of it all I mean aware probably is the wrong word um but how is she kind of dealing with all of the attention that is rightfully so coming her way yeah, it's hard to get a full picture because in a normal non-pandemic time, we'd be in person with her. I keep kind of bringing up to people like I haven't even met her in person, which is just bizarre to me because you're used to being there every day, talking with them in scrums and um, talking with them at practice. But she, what's fascinating to me about Paige, and this is the new, I think, generation of players of her caliber, and we're, we'll probably be talking about this in the context of AZ FUD next year is that she has been in the spotlight already for, I mean, at least in a last year or two, I, maybe Michelle could, could shed more light on that. But I feel like since she committed, committed to UConn and her highlight reels were going viral because of her skill set and her crazy passes and everything. Um, and she's been on the, you know, she's been on a national stage because of what she's done with USA basketball because of what she's done at her high school that she's kind of used to this spotlight. Um, now, of course, what she's doing as we've described is kind of, I don't think she probably came into UConn thinking she'd be putting up, you know, three straight 30 point games and, and that kind of level of, of what's been asked of her. But she seems like she, um, you know, understands like just how to deal with it. She's always just very kind of calm and composed. And I think one of the more telling things that happened the other night was someone, I think it was John Fanta with the Big East was asking um, if she ever surprises herself. Cause of course she hit that crazy dagger three at the end of the game. 
And she like straight out just kind of said, yeah, it's kind of surprised me. I went one for six, like from three, like that was disappointing, you know? Um, I think she just really has a good head of her shoulders and um, she doesn't get wrapped up, I think, in, you know, all the stuff that she's been doing. And I, you know, I think she would say too, we haven't asked her this, but she went, she came to UConn wanting to win four national titles. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like to lose. And I think, I mean, we saw like the Arkansas loss, she kind of changed the way she um, played. I think she started to be more aggressive on offense from the get-go and tried to actually, you know, accept and embrace the role of taking more of the team on her shoulders. But I also think she knows that her job isn't done yet and um, she doesn't want anything less than um, for the team to succeed. And that, uh, you know, hopefully for them being a national championship. Yeah. Um, I-, I love that. You certainly can see that corner that she's turned, but guys, I want to just go top five, really top five is intriguing. Most intriguing to me. We can stretch it out. You guys both have a wealth of knowledge in general, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit of South Carolina, Michelle, because obviously you lose to a UConn squad with Paige, who was in conversation of the Wade trophy and, and the whole deal. It's not a bad loss. And to your point, I was shocked. And, and I think in my call, people probably heard me praising the UConn defense because I was shocked that South Carolina couldn't get anything going in transition. Um, and I actually had a chance to hop on the China Robinsons around the run podcast. To me, they didn't make any adjustments in terms of even looking to diligently find Aaliyah Boston until that fourth quarter. Um, and one of the South Carolina fans hit me up on uh, Twitter and said, you do realize that Victoria Saxon was in foul trouble. And I think that's a big deal. Like that probably is, I use the phrase sneaky big deal because while she's not heralded, she's huge for what they attempt to do. Oh, I think you just nailed it. Honestly, that it, all of those things are are true. And then you add in the fact that UConn played two SEC teams before South Carolina, one of which they weren't, you know, came out all out of the blue. They weren't um, supposed to. And that's actually the team that has the best guards in the SEC, the most difficult. And uh, and one of them torched UConn. You know, obviously, you know, Chelsea Dungy had 37 points. So it was a great chance for them. And and you guys know this. Uh, Ariema is brilliant with with strategy. I mean, really is brilliant. Um, he doesn't talk about that very much about like, oh, I did this. He's he's so he's almost strangely self-deprecating a lot of times about like, oh, I did this and it was dumb or whatever. Well, they couldn't have guarded South Carolina any better for what turned out to be South Carolina's weaknesses in that game. So I thought they did that very, very well. Um, you know, we, we know this about SEC teams, and this goes way back. There are times when they can't shoot the dang basketball from the outside. This is such a, a league that for so many years was dependent on pounding the ball inside, and that came from Tennessee. That They were the leaders in that. And I'm not saying they didn't have good guards. They had some really good guards, but the, the famous players – for Tennessee are, are the post players. And so the rest of the league to keep up with them did that. And even all these years later, I still feel like the post play in the SEC is where things start. And they're, and, and in terms of being really good perimeter shooters, sometimes that can be a problem with the SEC. Uh, that's not the style a lot of them play. Mm-hmm. And, and it's almost where like a team like Missouri, which doesn't always have the talent. Sometimes Missouri's done actually fairly well in the sec because they play a completely different style so i feel like you're right victoria victoria saxon being out uh, was a big was a big miss the fact that they don't have you 
with Kiki Herbert Harrigan, you know, because they, that was, you know, somebody that Aaliyah Boston had last year. And then the player they missed the most, of course, was Tyasha Harris, because they had a four point lead with 150 left, had the ball and were coming out of a timeout. That's about as strong a position as you can be. And they didn't score again. Mm-hmm. And Paige scored twice. That's where you're like, your, your four-year starter at point guard, I think would have gotten you better shots in those last and, and controlled the ball better. And that's nothing against Destiny Henderson. She's trying to become like Tyash, even though they don't play very, very similar, but she was trying to do some of the same things. And in, in that case, that experience that you had with Tyasha, which we saw last year when South Carolina beat UConn, uh, they missed that a ton in, in both the last, you know, two minutes through the whole game, really, but the last two minutes and then throughout the overtime, they really missed Ty. What do you anticipate though being the adjustment? I would be curious. You know, what you guys said about, you have to get Aaliyah Boston the ball constantly. I mean, they're almost, you almost couldn't, <laughs> she's one of those players that you wouldn't say any amount of shots would be too many shots. She's got a wonderful touch. She's super strong. Um, and obviously UConn's smart enough that they were trying to, you know, and, and did a fairly good job, I think, against her. But I think you have to give her the ball a lot. You have to, I think you have to find ways to, um, to take advantage of your strengths because UConn was basically saying, here's South Carolina. These are the shots we want you to take. And, and they were taking them. Um, that's, that. Step back shot that Aaliyah Boston hit that that'll be interesting to see how she continues to develop that because if she gets really good at that, look out. Well, look out. Out though, Michelle, because she hit one, um, but then, and then she, she one she shouldn't have. Yeah, yeah. I was like, mm. that was, <laughs> and that to me that was a that was not having Ty out on the court, but it was also where I think Aaliyah, the the one she took in regulation ended up being a good shot. But then that that made her take a shot she never should have taken. And she barely looked at the basket. If she went back and watched that, she would say, why in the world did I take that shot? That's that wasn't the shot to take at that time. Right. Um, so I right. think that's where I think, um, you know, and and, you know, Monica, you played basketball. So you understand this really well that you learn through the repetition of your mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think when you when when that's why I say the big part of watching that game, uh, I, I always go back to Don Staley when when they lost the national championship game in 1991, they lost in overtime to Tennessee. I think Don watched that game about 500 times. Like she just kept watching it over and over. Her roommate at the time said every day she'd come home from class and watch the game over again. And I still think that fuels her, <laughs> you know, all these years later, 30 years later. And I, that's why I think, you know, if, if I sound super passionate about South Carolina needing to learn from this game, this game, losing it could be what maybe helps them win a national championship if they learn from their mistakes. But I don't think you can just move on from this game and not really look at what happened. It's, I agree with you, Michelle. And as we prepared for the game, I asked Coach Staley, what was the biggest growth since her team lost to NC State, which was shades of the lack of fluidity, the stagnant lack of movement that we saw against UConn, again, credit UConn's defense. And she said that the ability to make the right play and make smarter decisions. And she called the NC State game an anomaly. Um, 
Now, I know her post-game comments, she mentioned the balls and I was not a point guard, I can't speak to that. But in that same sentence, she talked about the fluidity. And so I think going forward, yes, the fast break can be your bread and butter, points in the paint can be your bread and butter, but what is plan B, plan C? Because I legit was like, do, do they have a half court set other than Destiny Zaya go off the bounce? Like I was, I was very much puzzled, but I, I wanna say that I wanna get you guys on the bigger, bigger picture um, so Alexa, I'll go to you. UConn is probably going to be the next number one. We've had what, four, three? Louisville, NC State, South Carolina, Stanford, four. To count. Four with UConn. Yeah, four right. to count this year. Um, just what do you see? I, we, we, you and I had this conversation on Twitter. I want to bring it to the pod. Parity or COVID? What, what are we seeing? I, I mean, this is maybe a cop out, but I would say maybe a little bit of both. I okay. think it's impossible to fully um to fully say it's just parody I do think I mean I watch um you know I've just watched different teams I mean from UConn and what they went through to um to what Stanford went through like having to literally be on the road for Michelle you wrote that story how was it months it was months I mean they were nine weeks nine weeks right so they were I mean to me like when I I remember when Stanford lost those back-to-back games I was like I I just was, it seemed like their energy uh, and, and I don't know exactly what they would say, but it, you know, it, it didn't necessarily seem to me like as a big of a deal. Cause I was thinking of like what they had gone through. Um, obviously not everyone was in Stanford situation, but I just think with the, all the disruptions and the postponements and the uncertainty, and the, I'm sure the mental toll on these athletes um, that's really, really kind of given them this, this, this head and that we've seen, all this kind of flux in the rankings and whatnot. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think there is a really strong senior class last year. Like that, that for me is um, my biggest frame of reference because that was my first full season covering uh, college basketball. But all those really good seniors, they left for the league. Um, you know, we don't have like the Sabrinas and the Ruthies and the Satus and the, you know, the Lauren Cox and, um, you know, there are so many other players, uh, you know, the, the South Carolina seniors with Ty Harris and, and Kiki Herbert Harrigan, like all those players left, like Crystal Dangerfield left. And so we're, it might be a little bit of a factor of that too, that there's just maybe not as um, many great players or the, I think the freshman class would probably be like, you know, there's a lot of good underclassmen that are, that'll be coming up maybe in two, two or three seasons, we'll be talking about them like the way we did last season. But um yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I'm really just intrigued to see what the NCAA tournament kind of ends up being like, because I would not be shocked if, I mean, I cover UConn and they've been to 12 straight final fours, but like, would I be shocked if they don't make the final four? Like, honestly, no. And that's not a reflection of this team. I mean, a little bit maybe, but um, I just think you, there's so many unexpected things this year that um, even like a team like Arizona or UCLA, I don't know, just a team that we don't necessarily always think of as a national title contender. Like maybe they win, like when that's really shocked me. I just think there's just a lot of weird things going on this year. Definitely. What about you, Michelle? Yeah, I think Alexa had a really good summation of that. Cause like she said, not only did we lose this great senior class, but we lost probably the three top juniors, you know, with Satu Sabali going and Kennedy Carter and, and Megan Walker. And it'd be interesting to see how Paige would be this year if, if Megan Walker were on the team. I mean, she was the, the best player on their team last year and how that, and she would be a senior this year. So how that would, that dynamic would affect things. We, we, we you know, cause there's one more thing I want to say about Paige in terms of leadership, which is 
it, it's maybe a little easier to be a leader on a team when your class is the majority of the team. You know, it's like, she's not having to lead a bunch of juniors and seniors. She's it's, it's seven kids. So it's like, um, you know, so, so that helps a little bit, but you know, you, you talk about the COVID impact. We have teams, this, this reminds me of sometimes like, um, you know, every once in a while you have a TV show where a character just disappears for a while and you're like, wait a minute, what, what's going on with them? They, we haven't seen them in like four episodes. That's like Rutgers. Rutgers was gone forever. We're like, where is Arella Garantes? Well, they, they weren't playing forever. NC State was out for three weeks. And then, um, you know, Elisa Kanane was out two more games after those three weeks. So, um, and that's just the beginning. I mean, we could, we could talk for, you know, two hours about all the teams that have been out. There's been more out than have missed time than haven't so that's also where i think those end of game situations can be we see those in a lot of different games we'll, we'll say what in the world were they thinking there and part of it is i think they haven't had as the the normal amount of time you know that they were either in practice or in games that that they that they would have um we see situations like let's just look at a a, a team you know that's not going to be talked about much at all oklahoma they have six kids that's it. They have six kids right now who can play. So uh, the other night they're playing Oklahoma State, just getting wiped out, which is a big, big, big rivalry game. But you think about the fact that they can't even have like a full court practice because you, you can't have the practice players in because of COVID. Uh, they don't have the male practice players. You have six kids. So you're basically running three on three drills, you know, unless Sherry Cole and Jackie Styles and Colton Cole come in and, and help them out, you know, with, uh, you know, with drills. And so I think when sometimes when you watch games like that, part of you just like your heart hurts a little bit for these for these teams. And they're just one example of that. Um, I think we we have I think the other thing Alexis said that I really agree with is I'm, I'm not going to be surprised by a lot of things in the NCAA tournament because we're going to have a true S curve mm-hmm. in the NCAA tournament. We're not going to have the geographical curve. So that's going to be interesting as well to see how some teams that I think have probably you know, would benefit more if it was a G curve um, or, or, or not. They're all going to be on a quote unquote neutral site. Um, you know, and also one thing I've thought about is how will this benefit the Texas schools a little bit? Because they will be, they won't be all of them at home, supposedly. I mean, Texas isn't going to get to play at Austin is what we were told for those early round games, but not going to be very far away from home. Baylor, Texas A&M, Texas, I mean, how that how that's going to impact them to basically have the whole tournament in yeah. Texas. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, I, I know when this first came up with Coach McGraw on ACC Network, she wasn't a fan of it. She didn't like the idea of having her team in a hotel for three weeks. I mean, she's a clearly accustomed to playing all three weeks through the tournament um, prior to last year, I guess, in terms of uh, tradition changing. But um, I just... I don't know. I, I didn't know that Oklahoma was only playing with six, Michelle. I'm kind of like lost in the sauce after that because that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's tough. And, and I think it's, we've seen, um, you know, Kansas State is a team that I think would be a lot better than they are. I mean, they, they had a, a, a COVID pause and they had a lot of kids impacted by COVID. Um, you know, you can, a team like Oregon State, you know, they were out for a while. I think even though they lost um, some key players with Destiny Slocum transferring and Michaela Pivot graduating, I think we maybe thought they were going to be a little bit better, but they got hit hard by COVID. Um, so I, I think there's some teams that we just, 
you know, we haven't seen the best of them because of COVID. You know, it's interesting you say Muffet's, you know, was like, man, I don't want my team in a hotel for three weeks. Do you know who that might, <laughs> Stanford, you want to talk about the hotel champions, you know, maybe they're going to, you know, in the NCAA tournament, I actually think they are the best team. Mm -hmm. um, and when they play the best, I think they're the best team. They're the deepest team. What Alexa said about not being surprised about the two losses. When you look at what, what those two losses were, they were at Colorado, which is traditionally a tough place to play because of the altitude. And because at that point they were whatever, seven weeks into the being on the road. Um, and that was an overtime loss and then going to lose to UCLA. So I, I didn't take, I, I didn't really punish them as much as I think some people did in the poll um, with, with those two losses. I, I still think Stanford's going to be a really, really tough team. Um, to beat the rest of the way. And, and you look at their depth and I'm not sure anybody has more depth than they do. They're number um, six now, right? Like that's just mind boggling to me. They yeah. should not be number six. Yeah. They're not the number. No, they're probably, they might be better than you. Know, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I, what was weird with the poll and, and everybody has a little bit different philosophy as a voter, but UConn didn't drop at all losing to to Arkansas, which surprised me. And then Louisville dropped, what, four spots losing to NC State, which is a number four team that had already beaten another number one. And Stanford drops all the way, you know, to six. And I think maybe part of that was people, you know, Colorado wasn't ranked. But I think if you watch women's basketball, you weren't super shocked that they lost that game in Colorado. They almost lost twice to Colorado last year. You know, that was that's a team that's kind of Hard had their number in, you know, in terms of competing against them. The, the other team I just want to bring this up Monica and, and this might be a team you want to talk about anyway that is kind of out there and I, and we all know it it's Texas A&M yeah they have, they're another team that's really deep they're they're really deep in guards you know whereas I think um you know Stanford you think of all those post players that can bring in or the big guards like the the you know the twins that they can bring in uh, A&M's got tons of guards and then you've got the double double machine in India Jones and I just, I really like this Texas A&M team. I think they're kind of out there. And I think Baylor's kind of out there because Baylor lost that game to Iowa State right after COVID. And they kind of dropped a little, boy, they have been on a tear since then. Um, and and they're, they're a tough team as well. I think Baylor's, Baylor's always in contention, but I really think Bill Finley does a great job um, mm -hmm. with Iowa State. And Ashley Jones, she's like, she, she reminds me of Quigley in some ways because like, she just is sort of unassuming, but she's a bucket. Like she's just a bucket in the way Ali Quigley is as well. Um, so I will say this year I was invited to be an AP voter. It's very hard. And so I want to defend a little bit of the vote. I think because I remember when Stanford lost and I was like, what's going on? Like, what's, what's the deal with Colorado? I think, but I feel like that same week, um, I, I had moved NC State up in my poll. So anyway, I dropped them, but it wasn't so much about the non-conference loss to me as I thought teams behind them were starting to play better. And I don't even, like voting with COVID pauses is like, I'm not gonna penalize them, but I do think that this team that's still playing is improving. And so in theory, they've gotten better. Like, um, I agree with you though, Michelle, on the, the Louisville, or I dropped Louisville just because of how they were beaten. I thought that NC State exposed a real flaw in terms of, being able to out-rebound them. Um, and so that was kind of tricky to me. But before we let you guys go, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Michelle gave us her overall favorite. So now, Alexa, you're up. Who's your overall favorite? Oh, I, I'm a, I agree with Michelle. Um, is is I think that her blood or is that like? 
Well, I'm, I'm, some people might say that I, uh, I'm a little, no, I don't think it's a bias, but I do watch Stanford a good amount because that is my alma mater. But um, I, I agree. My sense is that when I saw them play at their best, I thought they looked the best in the country. Um, although, I mean, I obviously watch UConn every game and um, if they eventually figure it out, like if Kristen and Liv can play to the, you know, to their potential, then I think that they could, um, I, I don't think I can, I'm confident saying that they're like a, it was, it was funny because the way that they played against Marquette and I know Marquette isn't maybe like the strongest team, but I was like, oh my God, like they're all, it's finally clicking. It's finally happening. Gino's turning around the team right before March. But so if they play like that, um, the way they're capable of, then maybe um, I could see them, but I haven't, I haven't really been sold on a ton of other teams, to be honest. I think that's kind of the, you know, the thrill of who knows what'll happen come March. But if I had to pick someone right now, I'd say Stanford. That yeah. would win. Um, I actually, I really like what NC State is doing. And I think that they have surprising depth and balance. I've been impressed with them defensively this year. I think Jakia Brown-Turner is about to be next up in terms of women's basketball. Um, and I don't know. And I don't know if you guys have found this. Oh my God, I should have you on another episode because we could talk forever. <laughs> I think a team like NC State, who was on the brink of doing something really special last year and lost the tournament, maybe feels a little bit differently than programs like Stanford and UConn, who are traditionally in the conversation. Like, I would be curious to see, although Oregon lost so many of those players, um, you know, they were a team that kind of were about to be back in the conversation in a way. Well, they had been there with Sabrina, but I just think something with NC State, I think they're getting a lot out of their sophomores. Raina Perez transferring in has been a big deal and she's been terrific. So I think when I look at total or, or my favorite right now, I, I'm leaning toward NC State. You know, and I don't, I don't count that, um, that North Carolina loss. It's interesting you talk about poll voting. That's why I think the poll is fascinating because we all look at different things and we all bring our own kind of how we interpret the way teams lost and and you mentioned like like Michigan they haven't played for a while so they're kind of in the poll but you're you know it's like okay but they haven't played again. um but with NC State I, I don't count that North Carolina loss against them a lot because that is such a big rivalry game I, you know we when we saw that last year um that North Carolina just plays like crazy against North Carolina state. Cause it's that, and they don't, they don't have the Duke rivalry this year. Right. Cause, yeah. cause Duke's not playing. So this was such a big game for them. And it was a game where I feel like North Carolina said, we got to win this game. I mean, we're, a, we're a 500 team. If we don't win this game, we're losing our chances to maybe make the tournament. Whereas North Carolina state's coming off the big win over Louisville. They're still, I think, trying to get back their, their legs completely from COVID. I'm so glad you brought up Jakia because I think she is phenomenal and she's such a good defensive player. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, I could definitely see NC state being in that too. And, uh, and Louisville, you know, Louisville kind of in, in, in a lot of ways, maybe that um, maybe the number one ranking, it almost looked like they were playing a little bit, like that was heavy on them a little bit, the number one ranking, because it was the first time in program history. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how, uh, you, you know, how they continue the rest of the way through. And, uh, one last thing I, I want to say about the SEC is the, the game we're all looking forward to is at the very end of the season, which is South Carolina, Texas A&M, oh. you know, like they don't play until then. So that's kind of unusual. You know, usually you'd say we would have already had like the game of the SEC and, 
And in this case, it's not going to come until right at the end of the regular season. Oh, man, I, I don't want to hold you guys, but we could go on and on and on and on. No, I, I'm sorry. I never shut up. You shouldn't no, have me again. No, you, I mean, the wealth of knowledge, both of the, both of you guys bring, um, I love it. And you know, women's black. Yes. Women's basketball. Um, Michelle Vopel of ESPN, Alexa Filippo, Filippo, Filippo. Okay. Alexa Filippo of the Hartford Current. Thank you both for spending some time with me, sharing your wealth. Uh, stay safe. And best of luck covering things the rest of the season. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Thanks very much. That was dope. Before we get to the the most or well, my favorite segment of the show, who's tripping? We gotta touch on Black History Month because it's February and that's where we're at. So it's relevant. We're black. Bruce might as well be black because he had a fro in the back back in the day. So Bush brother. <laughs> <laughs> he's our soul brother low-key so therefore we got to talk about it because it's relevant and i mean there, there, there's, there's so much to talk about monica when it comes to this um so wait but no, i got you i know you want to get into this specific question um our, our produ- bruce is such a thoughtful producer and so i'm gonna read the question as he has it written because it is a, an inclusive a well-written question why is it so important for Americans of all races, religions, and ethnicities to celebrate alongside people of color, including African-Americans, Black folks? Huh. So I, I, I have a few interesting thoughts about this. I was watching uh, Emmanuel Acho, what he, what, he, what, he, what he wrote about, what he, what he said about this, his video. Did you see that? I did not. So it, it was actually kind of interesting and it made a whole lot of sense. He, he, uh, he made two points. He said one point is, because African-American history is part of American history. So that's one reason why we do that. And a lot of times when you're in school, you know, you don't talk about a lot of the things that African-Americans went through. You touch on Rosa Parks, you touch on Martin Luther King, and you touch about Abraham Lincoln freeing the slaves. And that's honestly really it. You might touch on Obama being the first black president, but that's really it. You don't really talk about how, what's really going on still in this world, still in the society. So I think that's the first point he made. But the second point that I really liked is the fact that he said, he compared it to having a girlfriend. He was like, when you have a girlfriend and Valentine's Day comes up, if you only celebrate her during Valentine's Day or only make her feel special during Valentine's Day, are you really a good boyfriend? Is that a good relationship? And I had me thinking like, hmm, yeah, Black History is our month, but why not be celebrated all year? You know what I'm saying? Why can't we be appreciated all 365 days? And that really got me thinking. And when he brought that point up, I was like, yeah, Black History Month is a big deal, but let's celebrate our Black culture all throughout the year and not limit ourselves to just 28 days. I know you love Emmanuel Acho, and I do think that he is thought-provoking. Um, and you know what, this isn't just an Acho thing. I think even as black people, our experience of this country is different. Mm-hmm. While I agree, and his audience probably was not me, that's yeah. a no brainer. Like I'm black 365, I see black excellence 365. And for me, I've had the unique experience to grow up in a metropolitan area in which black people are successful. It ain't no thing, two bedroom, three bedroom homes, like beautiful neighborhoods, kids in private schools, luxury cars, bank accounts, professionals. So for me, um, you know, even coming up through my small Christian school as a kid, before I went to an all white girls high school, which is interesting. um, I love my high school though, shout out the Holy Cross. 
I've always seen black excellence front and center. And so I very much approach the world like black people can do whatever they want. Am I aware of the systematic deficit that we're at in this country? hundred percent. But I can remember when I moved to Florida feeling like, what is wrong with these young black professionals? Like they are not as empowered. They are not as forward thinking as I was accustomed to growing up around. So um, he's right. And I think that is a great example of our relationship with this country. And it even goes back to the Colin Kaepernick protest. And I think of, and I, God, forgive me, I can't think of who said it exactly, but it's one of the female civil rights leaders, or may, it may have been James Baldwin. It's, the gist of the comment is, I think it was Baldwin, in fact. I can protest, I can want better for America because I too am American, right? And so black history very much is a part of our country's culture, even though we try to walk past it. And I always think of um, being in New York and going to the 9-11 Museum. And if you ever had the chance to go, I like ran through it because it is so heavy. The weight of what happened that day, the artifacts, the video clippings, it is so heavy. That was such a sad day in our country. In contrast to that, I go to the National Museum of African-American History, the Smithsonian right here in DC, and it's not as heavy. And so while 2020 allowed us to start having some conversations in earnest, that was just scratching the surface. Because in my mind, and not to compare atrocities, but to walk away as an American from the 9-11 Museum feeling that, but to almost not feel like the truth and all of its horrors is being told about the relationship that this country has with black people in a national museum. Now yeah. granted, you go up to the higher floors and it's celebrating our success. But to me, don't get be confused by the facade of our success of a black president, of a black vice president. We still have a lot of work to do in this country. So but Black History Month is important simply because it is American history. But to your point, King, and to Acho's point, if we got to credit him, um, it should be something that should be weaved into the fabric of American life because it is American history. For sure. I mean, I just hate that. I hate the ignorant question of why is there no white history month? Mm. Right, like I, I, <laughs> I think that question right there might make me more irritated than anything on this earth just simply because it's like, I feel like the easy answer is every month is white history month. I mean, that might not be the popular answer that people want to hear, but every month is that. That's all we talk about in the history books. I mean, let us have our month. But like I said, not just our month. Don't limit ourselves, but have a whole 12 month, 365 days out of the year to appreciate Black culture, celebrate Black culture and Black excellence. Like me and you sing, because I've seen the two growing up. So I think we need to have that whole year, not just limit ourselves to one month. But for people that say, why is there no White History Month, bro? I feel like at this point, it's not even like, Something that, that I should just give my time and energy to. It's just more like, all right, bro, you have a blessed day. We're not entertaining that. Um, this month is amazing. Black people are dope. They literally have been a part of the fabric of establishing, building this country. Your favorite invention probably orig originated from a Black person back in the day. Speaking of all the things that Black folks <laughs> have accomplished, including Ooh. Black Afro, which we want to shout out to our producer, Bruce. He had an Afro because he was around some Black people at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but we are going to take a minute because it's a ladies' night type of energy on our pod to shout out a couple of women that stand out. And I want to keep with the theme of the UConn-South Carolina game and give a shout out to Coach Don Staley. It was so dope when we had our Zoom conversation with her. 
I said, coach, I'm going to be professional. I promise. But I just want to have this one fangirl moment because I remember you with the Charlotte Hornets, Team USA, and the episode when y'all beat up on on Martin is like my favorite episode. And so she was like, thank you. Thank you. But she is, I believe, the only woman to receive the Wade Trophy as both a player and a coach. Mm. Um, Obviously, historic championship with South Carolina in 2018, an Olympian, a WNBA first teamer, um, definitely a Hall of Famer, and she continues to blaze trails in her most original and stylish way. Man, outside of that, like just her personality, like just seeing her in videos dancing with the team, like just out there getting it, getting it with the girls, like just like feel like the relationship, like the way she dressed in honor of uh, Cheney. Why am I forgetting his name, his first name? John Cheney. John Cheney. I'm I'm thinking Dick Cheney. Is there a Dick Cheney in this world? There is a Dick Cheney. Okay, John Cheney. That is so, to all the the, the Black forefathers, the forefront runners, I apologize for that. But John Cheney, um, the way she honored him, the way she dressed uh, at the game with a true card, I think that was just super dope. Like, just... Just her whole demeanor. I, I love Don Staley. And me personally, I feel like she'd probably be the coolest coach ever. And I would love to play for her um, if I was a, a player. But probably won't happen. If she ever coaches former athletes turn to media, we'll let you know. <laughs> she ever builds a team. We, we could both play on the team like a little co-ed. You want to play. She's a little too intense for me. Them days in my life are over. <laughs> hey, I'll still go get a bucket or two for real. But in all seriousness, my... African-American woman who I want to shout out is none other than Kamala Harris. I mean, much more do we need? Like, what else do we need to say? I mean, the first female vice president literally paving the way for little girls that look like my daughter, for girls that look like Monica, Monica's future kids, paving the way for all little girls to see that you can achieve anything that you want to achieve as long as you put your mind to it. And don't forget that AKA is the only way as you see that pink bear right there. Don't get it twisted. Your mama has trained you well. All right, shout out to both those women and all of the black women, black folks being celebrated, the trailblazers that came before us. Now, now that we got the classy stuff out of the way, it's time to go a little bit ratchet and ill-advised. Who's tripping? (laughs) Who is tripping this week? Oh man, oh man, look. This past weekend, we had probably a huge, the biggest rivalry game in all of sports. So, like, it's the biggest rivalry game in all of sports, Duke, North Carolina. However, this year, it was probably the worst it has ever been. Two teams that aren't very good. Two, one team not making the tournament. The other team is on the bubble of making the tournament, right? So, these dudes right here, North Carolina wins the game, right? You beat a Duke team that's under 500, by the way. Probably not going to make a tournament, like I said. Mm-hmm. So you beat a team. You go out and celebrate. But not only do you celebrate, people are videotaping you celebrating at a party without masks in a pandemic. Monica, do you want to take a, a, the first stab at this or you, you, you want me to do it? I, please, please. Man, what the hell was y'all doing? <laughs> <laughs> Why are y'all celebrating the team beating the team that's over as barely no that's not even 500 number one number two y'all still not that good <laughs> y'all aren't good enough to be celebrating a, a, an, an average win a win that you're supposed a, a team you're supposed to beat and y'all want to go out there and celebrate then on top of that bro 
honestly, when we was at parties back in the day, if you're recording me, I'm telling you, like, put your phone up. Like, I might have to, like, remove, get your phone and, like, take it from you and just be like, bro, no, you're not recording me. Like, stop doing that. But you let people record you without a mask in a pandemic. Now, I don't think you can get much stupider than that. Then on top of that, now the the the, the center's mom is getting death threats because of, yeah, Baycott's mom got death threats. Like, come, come on now. Not only you putting your team at risk, you put everything at risk over a, a, an average win, average at best win. Average at best. I'm not going to harp on this, but when I saw this video, my only quote tweet was both of y'all teams a little too bummy to be celebrated <laughs> like this. Um, but yeah. All right, so my who's tripping, it's actually, I hope she get a bag out of this somehow. Like if I see a Gorilla Glue, glue commercial intertwined <laughs> with hair care in some kind of way. Sis, gorilla Glue girl, y'all see this? My head don't move. It's not like this because I want it to be with her real thick New Orleans accent. Baby girl, don't. I mean, now, now she knows. Touch a stove, it's hot, you get burned. Put Gorilla Glue in your hair, can't move your hair. Your hair's stuck. She learned. But baby girl, oh, I hope somebody invents something so that she can get our hair without losing all of it. That's all I got. <laughs> nah, nah, not that you did the Gorilla Glue girl <laughs> for the who's tripping. Oh my goodness. All right, people, time to wrap this thing up. Thanks to our guests, Michelle Vopel and Alexa Filippo. Also, thanks to our producer, Bruce Bernstein, and our editor, Kristen Woolley. Welcome to the team, Kristen. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops Media shows. This week, Mike Wise has his Super Bowl edition of the Mike Wise Show, and he and Bruce compare Tom Brady to some of the greats from the game of basketball. I'm intrigued. Full Court with Fisher and Kay has the best in college hoops each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto and Aaron has former North Carolina player and men's coach Matt Dougherty, whose new book chronicles the lessons he learned about leadership over the years. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday, and I'm back with King next Thursday with buckets, boards, and blocks. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Look, our big hope for 2021 is that we get rid of this COVID because this COVID nonsense is honestly irritating. And nobody wants to continue to live under or live in a pandemic. Do not be like North Carolina and go party with a whole bunch of people. Come on now. We got to be better than that. You got to have common sense. If you want to get out this pandemic, don't do stupid things like that. But we're still in a pandemic. So please do all you can to protect yourself and others by wearing a mask. Please wear the mask. Honestly, I feel like it's mandatory everywhere. So you really have no choice except for bars. Anyways, wash your hands, keep your distance from others and be considerate to everybody around you. And don't forget the medical professionals when you say your prayers. And we'll also add teachers because they're in the front lines too. So until next week, Monica, do the honors. There's so many to choose from. Wherever you get them, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.